Hello once again, and welcome to the Master's Voice. I'm Celestial, and you're welcome to this channel. Today, I have a short word from the Lord before I go to the prophecy. Uh, welcome to all new visitors, all new subscribers, and of course, a warm welcome to everybody who's been faithfully following me on the blog thus far. So I'm continuing with the prophecies about Russia, and we will soon start to go in depth into the prophetic words where the Lord gave me, I would say by the spirit of revelation, the Lord uh, gave me understanding about the nature of these of these people, the nature of the people that will be coming here to the United States in the future. Um, I I had what I would just call an inner understanding, especially since I've never been to Russia and I don't know any Russians, but just by the process of inner understanding um, and pictures, uh, always the pictures, I saw many things and I wrote down what I saw. So we will go into that. Uh, hopefully I will be able to get that out today. And we will also look at China whom the Lord also gave pictures and information, um, even dialogue, I, I saw. But before that, I have a short word from the Lord. And the word from the Lord is, um, it should not be surprising to Christians. Uh, the word is repent, repent. Before I come on every video, I ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to say? Lord, is there anything besides the prophecy that you want me to say. And the Lord said, tell them, I said, to repent. Tell them that sin lies heavy upon the land and that it is not by being sorry. It is not by experiencing remorse or feeling heavy or feeling sad that sin is atoned for. The only thing, he said, that can atone for the sin of man is the sacrifice and the precious blood of my son, the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And so I will just um, give this word. I've given this word exactly the way that I received it. The Lord said that we must repent. And he also said that we do not understand the necessity of repentance. Brothers and sisters, when we commit sin, we bring an abominable stain upon our spiritual, I would almost say avatars, but our the representation of who and what we are in the spirit realm. Um, we have a spiritual man, an inner man who is exactly like our outer man. He doesn't, he doesn't look like anybody else. He looks like you for you and me for me, but he is a spirit being. And this being is always before the Lord, you know, uh, sometimes he's represented in the Old Testament in the Psalms as a candle. You know, the spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord, meaning that the spirit that is inside you actually lights you up. He serves as an internal lighting system. And by that lighting system, which you cannot affect remotely, God is able to read all humanity at all times. This is why none of us will ever be able to stand in front of God and say, Oh God, I feel you're judging me unfairly. Oh God, I feel that this is not fair. You're accusing me of things I never did. 
we will not be able to get away with that when we stand before God at the end of time. And the reason for that is because the spirit of a man within him is the candle of the Lord. The Lord can see your human spirit as clearly as you can see me in the, this video. You cannot hide anything from the Lord. And so when we commit sin or when we harbor sin or even when there is sin in us and we are unaware of it, because it's possible to have sin in your heart, it's possible to have sin in your mind, it's possible to harbor lusts in your mind, desires in your mind, things that you want to do and they operate in the background of your psyche and the background of your soul and spirit. Pretty much like, uh, you know, how you can, you can be typing on a computer and you, your screensaver comes on and then you only see the, the screensaver, but you don't actually see what's going on in the background, but things are happening in the background and you may have sin. I may have sin in my life, or it could be active willful sin, you know, rebellion, refusal to change, refusal to be teachable, having a hard heart, pride, lust, fornications, adulteries, uh, murder can lurk in our hearts. You know, many times the people who commit murder are just as surprised as the people who lose their lives to the murderer. If, if there's a heated argument and one person suddenly moves against another and strikes out in anger and that results in the loss of life, both the person who has passed away in that heated moment and the murderer themselves are shocked. Why? Because um, unless it's premeditated, nobody actually comes to the point of confrontation thinking, I'm in the mood to take a life today. So repentance is a privilege from God. And this is strange because in this modern generation, repentance is grossly misrepresented and people actually hate repentance. In my interactions with people, um, as the Lord has given me to walk with people, as the Lord has given me to steward people, to help them on their way, on their progress in life, people who are stuck, people who have needs, it is my experience that there is nothing Christians hate more than to be told you need to repent. It, it's so strange because the whole process of becoming a Christian starts with repentance. And repentance has been grossly mistaught. Um, when I was coming up in church, I kept hearing uh, this phrase, oh, repentance is when you miss the mark. So you need to imagine a target and then imagine that you're trying to shoot an arrow at the target, but you miss the mark, you know? And so when you sinned, you've missed the mark and then you need to repent. Brothers and sisters, I just want to tell you that while this may paint a pretty picture that lines up with modern day Christianity and how we want to practice it today, that is not really an accurate representation. When you sin, you literally step away from the Godhead. You step away from your renewed man. You shut the door on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you isolate yourself in a wasteland where you and Satan begin to slow dance. That is a more accurate picture of sin. When you sin, sin is depicted in the book of Romans so accurately, especially in Romans chapter seven. Sin is depicted in there and also in God's encounter with Cain as a living being. The Lord said to Cain, sin lies at the door. Sin crouches at the door and its desire is for you. So 
If I have a choice, excuse me, if I have a choice to choose between God's picture of sin and the modern day evangelical Pentecostal born again picture of sin, which is, oh, I in my arrow, I'm trying to shoot that target, but I missed it. And God says there is a wild, feral beast crouching just outside the door that represents you and your life. And this thing is alive. It has a consciousness. It can think, it can plan, it can plot, it can stalk and follow you. And its desire, it actually has a heart and it is able to have lust. And its desire is for you. Its desire is to consume you. I don't know about anybody else out there. I'm going with God's picture. God's picture is more honest. God's picture is more representative of what is tracking me in my life and what it wants to do to me. The Apostle Paul says that sin is a taskmaster. Sin will first possess you and then crush you. And when it's crushed you and cowed you, it will rule over you. So you could pick up one of these, uh, these, um, modern day puffy sticks. I don't know what they're called. The jewel. That's a brand name, but, um, e-cigarettes, right? So you could pick up one of them because it's trendy or because your friends at college are using them or because you see your colleagues at work telling you, oh no, it's better than a cigarette. It's less nicotine and everything. Those things are doorway sins. They open the door for you to start using marijuana and marijuana opens the door for you to start using harder drugs and you will start to have demons coming into your life. Sin always invites in more sin. This is why Jesus said, the Lord Jesus said that when a, a demon is driven out from the house, this is the house. When a demon is driven out from the house, he goes out to the dry places and he wanders around in there. But of course, he doesn't like it. And before you know it, he desires to go back to his house. So if he comes back to the house, this is the house. And he finds that the house is not occupied. He finds that I have not been spending my time immersing myself in the word of God, spending my time immersing myself in relationship and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. He will come back into the house. He will use the doorway, he will use the gateway sins that I have operative in my life. And then he will come back in. And before you know it, the, the end, my end is worse than my beginning because he will call in seven demons stronger. So when we look at repentance, we are actually coming to God to say, receive me back into the Godhead where I am supposed to dwell in communion with you. Receive me back into fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hears me and opens the door, what? My Father and I will come in with him. We will sup with him, which is a picture of fellowship, and we will dwell with him so that man will not be alone. So the word that God gave me today before I even come to the prophecy is that we should repent. He says that we in America need to repent that sin lies heavy upon the land, which means that sin is oppressing this nation, which means that sin has broken the back of this nation. No long, no matter how strong she looks, 
Her back is broken. She is cowed. She is under the heavy weight and with it, the oppression of very major demonic power, satanic principalities. America has already fallen under the sway of these powers. And God is now telling us that we not only need to intercede, which many people are doing, God save this nation, God protect your people, but many people are not repenting. Personal sin is indicting us as the church. Personal sin is indicting the nations, not just this nation, but the nations before God. And it is necessary to repent from the heart, to humble ourselves, to cry out, to say, God, I am an equal opportunity contributor to the collective sin of America. The sins that I commit here, the sins that you commit where you are, the sins that we commit on the soil of the USA is condemning her in heaven is adding greatly to the weight of charges against her. And that is why personal repentance, not just abstract repentance, God, we as a nation repent. What are you doing in your life? What are those habits that are crouching at your door? What are those habits that have already kicked down the door, moved in and are sitting on the sofa and demanding that you feed them? What are the habits that have completely taken over your life? What are the things that you are struggling with? You don't want to confess them to anyone. You keep bringing them to God. You can't get the victory and you need to pierce those things in the larynx. You need to cut the throat of those sins so that you can be free. And so that when you stand before the father and you make intercession for yourself, for your family, for your friends who are still out in the world and for the nation at loud, at large, your voice is actually a loud voice. Your voice is actually heard. Your voice is countenanced by God. God actually says, uh, we've got a live one over there. Count her vote. We're in voting season, so we all know how important votes are. We want our heavenly vote to be counted. We don't want to be discounted because of sin. So I'm going to read... Um, one of the most important scriptures about repentance, and then we will go to the prophecy. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and I'm going to take it from verse 8 all the way to verse 11. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a little while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorrow, sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So the apostle is speaking here about how we are to repent. There are many people, like I said, people truly hate to hear the word repentance. They feel offended when you tell them 
um, in counseling or you just tell them as a friend, there's a need here for you to repent. People feel mad. People feel, why should I repent? People feel, what have I done that's so bad that you need to be telling me to repent? And who are you anyway to tell me to repent? Don't judge. This don't judge fallacy is killing the church. We are to judge with all righteous judgment. If we're entering an era where Satan has played the greatest looky-loo, the greatest trick of the age, which is to try and muzzle the church, keep us silent and tell us that by pointing out what sin is, we're judging, then I don't know where we're going to go from here. We are sunk as it is, because if we cannot identify the activities, the habits, the lifestyles, the penchants, and the behavior, the cycles that God says are unrighteous, if we cannot point them out and say, separate from these things, come away from these things, they're killing you, then how on earth are we going to be able to lead anyone or lead ourselves into life eternal? How are we going to be able to point to what is good if we cannot single out and point what is bad? So repentance is not very welcome in this generation. And Paul is saying here that there is a type of repentance that is not effectual. It is sorrow that only lasts for a little while and um, sorrow from the world that produces death. And the best way to recognize this type of sorrow is when you tell someone that they have sinned, when you tell someone and identify to them that their actions are not righteous before the Lord, they feel bad. They feel guilty. They feel remorse. These feelings are the feelings of a thief that is caught in the act, right? So it's a feeling of being caught in the act, which produces feeling bad, feeling sorry for oneself, and feeling guilty, and also feeling embarrassed. But none of those feelings produces true repentance. This is the problem. True repentance comes when you are cut to the heart. True repentance is only birthed when you recognize the sinfulness of an action, which is where we get the problem. If someone feels that his or her actions are not sinful, how on earth can it provide, how can it produce godly repentance that leads to healing, that leads to restoration of their soul? Godly repentance will do several things. Let me read them out to you. When you sorrow in a godly manner, it will produce diligence in you. You will become much more diligent about watching for the triggers that lead you into sin because you do not want to have to repeat repentance. What else does it produce? It produces clearing of yourselves. So you begin to search yourself. You begin to search your heart. You begin to search for the appetites inside you. You really begin to question and say, Celestial, what is it that is wrong with you that you keep going back to this sin like a dog to its vomit? You out there, what is it with you? What is the open doorway in your life? What is that sore point that has not received healing and wholeness, has not been brought back to solidity and integrity? And every time you step on that place, it just gives way like a rotten floor and tumbles you back into a sinful behavior. How can you clear yourself, solidify that place so that you can walk across it or avoid it altogether and not fall back into sin. Repentance produces indignation. You become angry at the fact that the devil keeps on snaring you. You become upset that you keep falling for the same sin. 
you say, how on earth am I a Christian walking with the Lord this year, you, um, this long, you a Christian walking with the Lord this long, keep repeating the same patterns. How can I overcome it? How can I stop it? Devil, not today. You become indignant that you are being taken for a fool by the enemy. That's another thing that um, it produces. 